But most guys are who they are if you scout the right way and really think critically. And, and that's where it comes from to say, hey, it's, it's really hard to say, you know, I, I know this guy, I was wrong. And as much as you can stop saying I was wrong or I'm finished with a report, you've got to kind of put the book down for a second and say, hey, I've watched this guy enough, but always make sure you know the next questions to ask. And that's what we focus on. So it's not about finishing the player watching every game. You don't finish the report until you know what you want to see next. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back or welcome to this week's edition of Up Close in Personnel with Alex Brown. While we're getting started, please be sure to hit that subscribe button, rate five stars and review the show. I appreciate everybody's support for the show and I'm constantly like shocked by the number of recruiting and personnel folks that are tuned in. Thank you again for spending time with us each and every week, and I'm committed to continuing to bring great guests on so that I can step aside to let these guys talk about all the things that they have to bring to the table, whether that's college, pro, all-star events, whatever. I'm trying to bring in as many different people that are involved in this space to help us grow the show and help educate and empower everybody that's listening. That's players, coaches, recruiters, scouts, wherever you are. Now, on to our featured guest of this week's show. We're joined by my man, Eric Galco, a repeat visitor of the show, last seen on episode 26. And in case you missed that episode, Eric broke down his approaches to networking, hiring, training, scouting, along with the experiences he's gained from working with the XFL. In this week's conversation, Eric and I talked about his new role, which was just announced a couple weeks ago, as the Director of Football Operations and Player Personnel for the East-West Shrine All-Star Game. Now, running an all-star game is is much more than picking players. And the East-West Shrine is focused on raising money for the Shriners Hospital Foundation. And we talk all about that. We get into the big plans Eric has to make the East-West game a premier off-season spot for the NFL draft process, how he's building his draft boards for the next two classes, and really his approach to making this game as competitive as possible. For the personnel people at any level, The detail Eric goes into on how the evaluation changes from year to year and how he's able to keep his approach fluid and dynamic is really, really helpful. Um, Whether you're a high school guy that's looking at, you know, a a junior high player that you're trying to project to what he's going to be at your level or you're a college recruiter that's projecting a freshman or a sophomore or junior and what he's going to be when you actually sign them or an NFL scout that's looking at an underclassman and trying to project because you may not know if this guy is going to wind up going to the draft or not. Um, This is just great research and and great information on how to approach those different variables. The conversation ranged from the importance of background, training your staff, recalibrating your eyes by making sure you know what's playing the league, and so much more. It's always a blast talking with Eric, and it's no surprise he's one of the best in the business. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Before we get started, a word from our sponsor of the show, War Room. Keep telling you guys about War Room because it's one of the very best team management and database platforms on the market. And whether you're an FBS, FCS, D2, D3, NAI, high school, or pro team, War Room is going to be able to create a customizable solution for you, whether that's roster management for scholarships, depth charts, recruiting boards, team communication, operations, compliance, whatever you need, they've got it. For more information, reach out to Moose Bingham 
That's 801-808-7754 or go to www.collegewarroom.com for a free demo today. With all that being said, it's time for Ulrich to get this show started. Thanks and enjoy the show. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um... Eric, welcome back to the show. How are we doing? We're doing good, man. Good, man. A lot has changed in the last, what, year since I was on, or I guess six, nine months, but it's, I'm doing well, man. We're, we're post-NFL draft. We're hard of recruiting again. We're hard of scouting for next year's draft. So I'm staying busy, man, but, but a lot's changed since we last spoke. Yeah, and, you know, for, for the listeners, like, obviously, I don't post video, but uh, he's got a, got a jersey, helmet in the background, wearing the new digs for the East-West yeah. Shrine game. So, um First off, congrats. We've already talked off air, but, you know, to, to get a, this type of event, you know, we've talked about it from even back when we worked together. It's like, hey, we got to get yeah. the Shrine game. We got to get the Shrine game. We could do a great job. And I think it's so cool because, you know, it's the nation's longest running all-star game. You have a chance right. to, to be an integral part in the draft process now. And like all those experiences along the way, you know, XFL, we talked about in the last episode, um, check it out if you haven't already listened. Eric really talked about his process from a scouting perspective and running the XFL. But, you know, those experiences led up to this. So can you talk about like what the role is? Because I, I don't yeah. I don't think people understand it's more to it than just saying I like these 100 guys. I'm going to invite them and let's let's see who shows up and and, you know, put on a That's draft. That's the fun part. That's the fun part for sure yeah. um, is that piece. And first off, I appreciate it. I mean, I'm, I'm super excited to be a part of the Shrine Bowl. They uh, I had spoken with the person um, at the Shriners organization who puts on the game, the Shriners Hospital, for, for a little while. Um, and I think, for one, uh, the the underdog opportunity here to say, hey, you know what, they, they've been the longest running all-star game, but it's a chance to kind of reassert itself as the number one event in, in the off-season calendar. And that's really the goal here. But I think the, the part that I don't want to ever lose track of, and I try to keep myself grounded, talking about the Shrine Bowl, is we're doing this event to raise money for the Shriners Hospital for Children. It's hard to think of a better reason to do anything in football if not to help children uh, in, in hospitals and with their health. So that piece is always super appealing to me and exciting to me to say like, hey, you know what, if I do my job, not only am I going to have draft picks and all that stuff, I'm going to be you know, raising money to help children. So that piece is, is really why I was, I, I've, I, you, know, you said it earlier, I view the Shrine Bowl as, hey, among the All-Star games, among the NFL offseason, that was the one I always thought that would be great to help and run with and, and be excited for. And my role now is, is director of football operations and, and director of player personnel. It's basically the same kind of role that if you know Jim Nagy at the Senior Bowl, you know, my title is an executive director just because of how the organization set up a little bit differently. But, but I'll be running everything from operations and media to obviously the scouting piece. But as you mentioned, the scouting piece is, is really the fun part. And that's what I'm excited to do. And, and I think really we go into it more, what I decided to do, you know, I was officially hired in, in mid-April. And since that point, the last, you know, as, as of this recording, it's been about three to four weeks. I wanted to take a step back and I wanted to ask as many people in the industry, hey, I've got my own ideas. What do you want out of this? And the goal of the Shrine Bowl will be to be the most important uh, part of the NFL and college football offseason. And that's the goal. And We've gotten great feedback from NFL GMs and scouts, agents, 
college personnel, um, et cetera. So I've been trying to really crowdsource a lot and say, hey, what do you what do you hate about this process? What do you like about this process too? And it's been an awesome learning experience for me these first few weeks. And I'm sure a lot of the, uh, what do you hate? What do you like? Uh, yeah. You can draw from personal experience from all the senior bowls and, and East yeah. West shrines. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where people, you know, people don't want to, the senior bowl has done a really good job. I've talked to Jim Nagy already, you know, since being hired, he's been, you know, good to connect with, but, you know, I, I kind of made my intentions clear. I'm saying, Hey, after, you know, next couple of years, the expectation is we'll, we'll kind of be reaffirming ourselves um, after a, a hiatus as a shrine bowl before I got there of, of being the number one game again. But I think I want to really start with, Hey, looks like the XFL, right? Our process back at the XFL was, before diving in, let's talk to fans. Let's talk to people. How do we change the rules? How do we make this game better? And I want to do that same exact approach. And I'd be wrong if I said I haven't used the word reimagination. The XFL made up word in the dictionary. I've used it again. Hey, how can we reimagine an all-star game? And it's been great. I've had some wild ideas from GMs and agents. I've had some really smart, simple ideas. And again, I'm trying to use the next, another, you know, the rest of May to say, hey, before we decide anything, you know, how can I use the collective wisdom of the industry to make this event as a week plus long event uh, smarter? And again, the goal is, I'll say it again, is to make this most important event of the NFL and college offseason in so many ways besides just what players are doing on the field. Yeah, from the ops side, how yeah. hard is it to take all those disparate ideas, like very creative and very simple, and, you know, you would love to be able to do all of it, but you only have yeah. one week, and that includes, like, check-in and, you know, weigh-ins and interviews and the stuff that people don't really understand how much time it really takes. So um, have you already started to wrap your mind around kind of like itinerary and like building that out? Kind of, you know, I, I got, I got, I, I joke all the time. I've got 168 hours, right? Seven days, 24 hours. I got 168 hours to cramp stuff in and every, everyone's ideas, which have been great, have been about you know, oh, adding this to it, adding this to it as well. And I think for, for me, what I've kind of gathered from the ops side is I need to have three things. I need to make sure that players and NFL teams can meet in an organized fashion. That's one of the biggest weaknesses I've learned, um, which I already kind of knew coming in, but hearing about even the senior bowl and the combine, it's again, similar to just a time issue. There's not enough time in the day to have all these teams talk to every single player. So, so managing that, um, making sure that players are comfortable, taken care of, having the best quality food and best uh, recovery resources. And we're gonna have, um, I won't spoil it right now, but we're gonna have really best in class, same resources that, you know, I assume, you know, I know Rice has and, and major college, major NFL programs have, we're gonna have those at that event because I want this event to be a, a very professional, you know, their first experience in the professional world is gonna be the East West Shrine Bowl. And then making sure we have times for, the ancillary things that aren't meant to be just throwaways. One of them is, is obviously meeting with the Shriners patients. I've talked to many former Shrine Bowl players and they have said that was one of the best experiences I've had in my life. And I, I'm not just blowing smoke here, Alex, like they have said that repeatedly. And I think that gets lost until they go, until they meet with these kids on like the Friday of the game. They don't know why that's a cool part of the Shrine Bowl. And there are players who it's going to change their thought process. They become Shriners. They donate to the hospital. They stay in touch with those children. So that piece, as well as the other ancillary things in terms of, hey, we're gonna have great innovation partners, best in class analytics and, and athletic testing and all that stuff. So there's a couple of big initiatives I wanna get through there, but making sure players can talk to teams, making sure players are comfortable and, and leave that game saying, hey, I was at least taken care of. And then having the other pieces of the event that make this uh, hopefully a special event. Is that, 
this is totally random. Uh, just made me think yeah. of it. Um, you've talked about your scouting process, how much emphasis you guys put on the background and, and teams do the same yeah. thing. And, yeah. and uh, with what the Shrine game is in terms of impacting the community and, and being involved in the community, is that like a, not, not necessarily a prerequisite, but like a, you know, a, a feather in the cap of some of these prospects when you're going through and you're evaluating them in the summer and in the fall leading up to your game, Hey, this guy's really involved in his community. He would be a great asset to us in this environment. Does that, yeah. does that even factor in? I, yes, it, it will to some degree. And I, I hesitate to say yes, because I think a lot of players don't have the time to think about that until they go for the draft process. And I speak to players, you know, this players every year and you speak to guys in college, a lot of people in college too. And usually that, that junior senior year, the light bulb starts to switch. If they're a quality NFL player to say, Hey, you know, I got a chance to make a difference here. And I don't want to rule guys out for that purpose, but certainly, you know, I, I want to kind of rebuild a little bit of the connective tissue of these Shrine Bowl alumni, but we've got Hall of Famers. We've got Tom Brady who may be involved with the game this year, Jimmy Garoppolo. And we've got the other guys that are just kind of, you know, have been, you know, Joe Thunies of the world or Darren Wallers who use the Shrine Bowl to become quality NFL guys. I want to kind of rebuild that alumni base because we're all around the same idea of the Shriners Hospital for Children. And we can kind of say, hey, you know what, maybe you don't want to work for the hospital for children, but you want to start your own charity. And we want to, I, that's one of the goals is really to empower athletes to start to think about this. And one thing that, hey, you may not want to be a Shriner, work for the Shriners organization, or, you know, the hospitals may not be where you want to use your charitable activities, but maybe we can give you some resources to start your own charity or think about that a little bit more, how to organize. So, now that piece is important because again, I, I stress the football piece. We can talk football all day long. That's the fun part of this job, but it's the, Hey, how can we make an impact and make a difference players lives as well as the charities as well. So no, that's again, I'm not ruling out players. They don't have a charitable background, but certainly if there's some player that's going to really connect with our message, I think it's a win for the player for NFL teams to see that about a guy taking advantage of it. But we hope to maybe take a couple of years. We hope to really view the shrine bowl as a place where players can really start the charitable piece of their NFL careers. Yeah, I think that's the most overlooked part of these all-star games is like the the connect the connection with like that community and, and that area yeah. and that city. Cause uh the yeah. first year I went to the senior bowl, you remember this, I screwed up. I thought everybody stayed until the game. And like everybody <laughs> dips out of there Wednesday. And I'm just yeah. like hanging out by myself. I'm like, man, this is gonna suck. And you go to the game and like the whole city's there. And uh, it's yeah. just a it's just a cool deal. So it's a, uh, it's a change in the culture too, right? Because the early part of the week is very NFL focused and the mm -hmm. back end of the week can be a little more media or event focused. And again, I, I think the senior bowl does a good job, but you know, their, their charity is for the city of Mobile, Alabama, which Mobile is great. We all love Mobile, right? But like our charity is for hospitals for children. And I think we want to take advantage of that opportunity to say, Hey, you know, you're here on Friday. Don't lose your focus players. This is why you're here. It's for these children. So that piece on like the Friday, Saturday, when all the NFL scouts leave and the Alex Browns of the world leave, that's when we can really do our best work as a charity. That's so cool. And and when you see the pictures of like the games, like when when like the East West or what whatever the game is, when they take pictures like uh, like during those community service, you know, whatever whether it's the 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 Shriners Hospital or whatever. Um, just the, the looks on the players' faces, you know they're they're really enjoying it. And yeah. and I, I think that is something that definitely clicks like sophomore, junior, senior year. Some guys have it early, but absolutely. Yeah. No, it's it's a piece that we'll find out how players respond to it. Maybe every player's want to work on it. And again, this is really an NFL event, right? We're here to support NFL teams and give these guys a chance. And it's a week-long job interview that could define a lot of things. And after a year hiatus, I'm excited to have 
this all-star game be, you know, where the top seniors in the country are going to, you know, be NFL draft picks and press teams. And, and like you mentioned earlier, background matters. I think helping these teams identify these players early and having their background evaluations done at the Shrine Bowl, you know, one of my main focuses, you mentioned schedule earlier, is to make sure that NFL teams have the best access to these players of any event in the NFL draft process. And that's one of the goals we hope to kind of accomplish this year to, to make players get a lot out of it. So I feel like, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like underclassmen film is being more and more valued in the scouting process and teams are getting more ahead on players and evaluating them at a yep. younger age. And I'm curious to know how your process like values the junior film versus the senior film and kind of how early does it start for these guys? Because I'm, I'm a pro liaison. There's a lot of recruiting directors that listen that are pro liaisons. And these guys know that you have a significantly better chance of getting drafted or picked up by a team if you're at one of these major you know, draft all-star games. Um, yeah. where, where does it start for you? Yeah, I mean, for us really, we've, we're in a really good spot where we're, I would say we're quote unquote done. We've got reports on every player for the 2022 and 2023 draft class, right? So we, we are way ahead uh, for I think even NFL teams. And thankfully right now we have, you know, scouts calling us asking us, Hey, do you like these guys? Let's compare before I start watching these players. So we like to get a head start in part because we have the time, right. And we're not on the same calendar as NFL teams, right. We're not drafting in April. So we get a chance to kind of start a bit earlier and we take advantage of that. And I think what that does is, is it's one of the hardest parts. I mentioned, I think we talk about, about bias and that's always what you want to fight in scouting is that bias piece. But we try to do a good job of saying, Hey, you know, two years ago for the 2020 NFL draft cycle, we had some notes on some 2022 draft prospects and we kind of keep those in the same database and we kind of maybe ignore them as you rewatch a player, but build on it. And we can kind of tell a lot by how a player has grown and developed for the Shrine Bowl in particular this year, being that we do are so far ahead and we're having kind of really our final scouting meetings for 2022's draft this month and next month, we, we are valuing junior film a lot. Um, and how we handle it is, hey, I wanna know these players very closely, background especially, but also their, uh, their scouting um, you know, ability, playing ability, but also, hey, what, what am I watching for? When I'm watching these guys in September, what needs to change to improve or, or demote that grade? And that piece is sometimes really hard to figure out because as a scout, sometimes you want to just be positive. This is the guy, I've done the work, here's who he is. And takes a step back and say, okay, he's this, can he get better? Well, you know, he's only playing the position for a year, or maybe he's 25, he's not going to get me better, right? Those kind of questions and discussions, that's what we're doing right now to be really actionable in September to say, hey, we're watching this guy, two or three games in, yep, he's good from his injury, he's all better, we're, we're good to go here, he's, he's, he's going to be up a higher grade. So we value the underclassmen film a lot because we focus on saying, hey, how has this guy gotten better? Um, it also asks us, allows us to ask more pointed questions to the pro liaison like yourself, right? Hey, if I'm asking about a Rice player, I don't want to come in and ask you who's good here. I want to say, hey, here are the five guys. I'm missing anybody. And on these five players, is his injury better? Hey, is he, you know, high character guy? Does he do a charitable work too? So being as prepared as possible as we strive to be. And that means doing your work before their senior seasons. It helps you have a, a second level question instead of a first level yeah. question. Like, because... I think everybody who starts into scouting has a hard time of that confirmation bias that like viewing yeah. evals as static and that piece of it being a dynamic growth. I feel like it gets lost, especially in the media side. 
Yeah, no, I mean, people, and that's why you see, you know, I, I think I you know this, I hate the term risers. I don't even like the term over underrated because the idea is, well, who are you rating it against? And if you do your job, there's no such thing as a riser. And I would say people grossly overestimate in terms of the draft process, there are maybe 15, 20 guys that really change who they are their senior year. And most of those guys are because they were one-year starters or they're position-changing guys, right? So a guy like a Georgia, Adam Anderson, an outside linebacker, hey, the guy's never started in college. We think he might be a first-round pick. We're going to project that a little bit, but he may quote-unquote rise. But most guys are who they are if you scout the right way and really think critically. And, and that's where it comes from to say, hey, it's, it's really hard to say, you know, I, I know this guy. I was wrong. And as much as you can stop saying I was wrong or I'm finished with a report, you've got to kind of put the book down for a second and say, hey, I've watched this guy enough, but always make sure you know the next questions to ask. And that's what we focus on. So it's not about finishing the player watching every game. You don't finish the report until you know what you want to see next. And the same thing for us in December. We know, okay, what kind of athlete grade is he? We have an A, B, C, D, F athlete grade scale, right? That we kind of project athleticism. And let's say, okay, are all these grades right? So when the NFL combine comes and we have a guy as a B athlete and he tests as a B player, we're not changing the grade because we already expected that. Right. So it's about asking the next question for us all the time. And that's what we strive to do with our reports and our process is to be ready to go for the next part of the process. I'm curious on, you said you did the 22 and you're basically almost done with the 23 draft. How, yeah. how different do those reports look for you when you're going all the way back to sophomore film on a guy? because yeah. you're trying to ask the next question, but that's a step before, you know, the 22 guys that you're still gonna have questions to answer in the fall of their senior year. So how do, how do the 23 reports look different from the 22? Yeah, a lot, of our, a lot of our younger guys, I actually won't have them read the previous year's reports because I think it's really hard to kind of not have that bias. But for, for me, because I've been doing this, I can kind of separate that bias. I think a little bit better, right? Bias is always on a scale. So I, I think I do a good job. Maybe I could do a better job about not not viewing who they were earlier. And I think the point of it, having early reports is not to necessarily like that's who they were, have they gotten better? It's more so to see like, were they doing something different before that you maybe aren't seeing this year? Are they growing in the key areas you wanna have questions about? So it's really a delicate balance because you can have too much information on a guy, right? NFL teams, more I talk to, you know, in terms of their actual scouting, it's getting smaller and smaller, right? You don't wanna have that much information about a guy because you just kind of get paralysis by, too much information, but for us, it's trying to be actionable. I, I don't, I don't believe in scouting reports just for scouting reports' sake, especially anymore. I know Alex, when, when we were working together, our reports were pretty lengthy. Um, we've scaled that back really with the XFL because I said, hey, I just gotta, I gotta run through guys much quicker to make decisions. I can't read a thousand words for every player, and that's where that decision making comes from. To say, hey, let's use 2022 to 2023 to say, how has this guy gotten better? What have I learned? Was he playing edge rusher? Now he's playing Sam linebacker what's the difference there? Boom. Right. So if there are a couple of guys in this year's draft class that didn't play in 2020 because they opted out or they were small school players or they're playing a different position or they're a different school. And those reports are so valuable. And that's the, that's the frustrating part is that sometimes your reports that are two years ago are not valuable and that's okay. But the ones that are valuable, those are, you know, save you so much time. And, you know, for us, we're not going to go back and watch, a, a freshman year player, freshman year film, unless we have to, unless we know for a fact it's valuable, unless we already have a report on him. 
NFL teams will do that a lot in January to April. So don't get it. I don't want to say we're, we're, we're watching every player snap, every player of their entire career since high school, but we'll pick and choose. But having a robust database and having one that I think is really actionable is really helpful for us to say, hey, I'm not going to go back and watch that player. Right. The goal of the scouting report is so the person reading it doesn't have to watch that player. Right. That's the goal of the scouting report. We try to make all those things actionable so I can read it and say, hey, here's who he was before. He's added 20 pounds. He had an injury in 2019. Here's who we kind of was as a player. Now I read this report. Okay, I know who this guy is. I'm not watching these guys anymore. So that's kind of the goal of all of our scouting process. Yeah. The uh, the transfer portal and, and COVID oh. uh, eligibility. Um, it's brutal, man. Waivers. How, how are you handling that? We've got to have now an asterisk for players that are draft eligible because we've got guys that are technically in the 2024 draft but are in this draft if they want to be. Um, so I think every team for the next, what, four years will be dealing with the same issue until this COVID eligibility year kind of goes away. So we're trying our best. I mean, you know, selfishly, the rule is for, for the, NF, for the, you know, the all-star game process so that if you are four years in college and you graduate by December, you're eligible for an all-star game. Um, and we're going to take advantage of that. And, and I want to, you know, we'll be working with college programs like yourself and anybody listening, you know, if we emailed every college DPP to kind of get their feedback about the process and what you want to get out of it. And that's extremely genuine. So anybody listening, including you, Alex, I want your feedback on like, what do you hate about the process? What can I learn? But we want to be like, hey, you know what? These redshirt juniors are eligible. I think a lot of those players will want to take advantage of the All-Star game, but um, it makes for a lot of players that are technically eligible for the All-Star process that otherwise wouldn't be because there are a lot of redshirt juniors who I'm sure have graduated by now with the bonus COVID year. Yeah, and there's some... I mean, because you think about it, these redshirt sophomores will be four-year guys too. And, right. and, and so everything is dropped back a year, which is insane. And the thing that I like that you keep kind of referring to without saying it is like the context piece of scouting. Like yeah. you have to find that. And I was listening to you on the couch with Sig Bloom and, and you brought up the, uh, you know, the more I say it, the less I like it. Um, yeah. DeMar DeRozan jumpers in, in scouting. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? Because you just... You, you threw it out there real quick. Yeah, I got um, no love for the basketball reference. I, I know. A bit, so. so, you know, I, I think that's so huge. And, and when I are, am training up my interns, yeah. the biggest thing I say with cut-ups, because like their, their whole main job is to create a profile tape so that the assistant coaches can evaluate a prospect's game film in a condensed yep. fashion. So they, they're yep. efficient with their time. And in the process of doing that, they're learning how to evaluate. They're learning what to look for. And so I'm always big on like, can we draw an evaluation from this play? You know, does it translate to our level? If not, then this is not a, a play that even needs to be in the cut up. So when you've been training up your scouts, um, yeah. because I think this applies at every single level of football, of training people how to evaluate, how to see it the right way. Uh, what are the most common uh, DeMar jumpers that, that you've come across? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think for one, um, training our staff, it's to always, again, focus on some of the very obvious background stuff you can get. I mentioned that earlier, right? But say, hey, you know what? Don't catch these things as you're coming along here, right? Don't don't gloss over something. And, and perspective is, I mentioned last time, it's always the hardest thing in scouting because it, it, the easiest way to get perspective is to do this for a decade, right? Once you do it for a decade, you can kind of see guys pretty clearly. Um, but I think that's the hardest part. But I think helping these guys build that perspective early on in terms of background. Hey, if this guy was a wrestler in high school, you know, and in playing defensive tackle, if you see these two or three skills, 
boom, you know, this guy's going to translate to the next level, right? There's some cheat codes. I call them too, as in scouting, like, Hey, if I can just use the background here and it translates, boom, I got a good shot here. So that kind of piece is, is always really tough for people to get because I think people watch the draft and, and hear Mel Kuyper or hear Todd McShay and they're talking about, you know, body control, athleticism, all that stuff as well. And that piece is, is not really important in scouting in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, again, I, I always, I'll say it again to you, the background is more important than film most of the time, because if you do the background work correctly and have an understanding of what it means, the scouting is the easy part because you're just kind of putting the rest of the puzzle together. So that piece is really hard. I tell our staff as well to, to focus on body type and athleticism as much as possible. That's a big one for us just because it's, no matter what this guy is going to move and our athleticism reports should view that if that guy goes to play basketball tomorrow, I can start a basketball scouting report too with that same idea, right? So every player, you know, their positions and those tackles not going to be the same as a receiver, but in general, judging that piece. And then again, simple stuff like that's really hard for young scouts is, is where are they lined up? Where are they playing? How are they doing there? Um, simple ideas that we go too far in the weeds sometimes. So, you know, Hey, is this guy playing nickel? No, he's an outside guy is what he's doing on the outside at corner. Can that translate to nickel? No. Okay. We've learned a ton about the player just by that, you know, very simple idea of where he's playing and where he's not. So those are the three things that I try to teach our scouts early because they're such good fundamentals for watching players. I can teach anybody, you know, how to watch film and what to look for and that kind of stuff. But that perspective is really hard for a lot of young guys to gather. And they're just, they're easy layups to say, Hey, I know the player's background, what sports he's played, how many years he started in college? Has he changed positions? Okay. I got his background and his family. Got it. I know where he's playing on the field. Okay. I can focus on his athletic ability. If you do those three things, you're going to be like 80% right on almost every player. And then the rest of them will just come in and scouting training. So that's the, those are the three layups I try to teach our staff early, but it, it still takes time. I mean, we, we probably have it on average. It takes about two to three months to train a scout in our process and what we do. And we try to stick to that as much as we can and not rush it because if you don't rush it, you get really good scouts out of it. And I think, as you know, we've got a consistent pipeline of guys going to college or the NFL from our staff because I take a lot of pride in hopefully training these guys and they're ready to go. Oh, and first, before we before we move on, from yes, this, we we didn't even yeah. let you actually like break down what uh, the the Demar Derozan reference is. I just threw what, it out there. What was the context the I used it? Say it again. What was the context I used it in? So it, it was basically, um, yeah. you know, Demar Derozan like jumpers don't matter for anything. They're highly inefficient, and it's yeah. more of like being efficient with your time as yeah. a scout. No, it's the same idea, right? So it's like, hey, we've learned that three-pointers and layups are much more efficient too. And it, I think for DeMar DeRozan, it probably was the context of not caring about RPOs as a quarterback. Is yep, that's what, that's what it was. Saying, hey, yeah. yeah, it was saying, hey, you know, we've learned to filter those plays. I guess that's what, use that point as well. We've learned that. And that's really through analytics. And our process in analytics was to say, hey, we've learned that filtering throws as a quarterback or as a receiver, one thing I'll say too is, hey, evaluate press coverage snaps much more, right? We've learned analytically through data, and this goes out to Justice Moskata who, who leads our data and, and, and analytics. Hey, press coverage snaps mean a lot more than non-press coverage snaps. And as an analyst, we'll get that number, but as a film watcher, if I see press, I'm locked in. If I don't see press, I'm not watching for all the stuff that matters. Maybe I'm watching for movement and, and hands catching, but not the same way. Quarterbacks, we've learned, you should, as a scout, throw out RPOs. Throw it out. I know it's tough to do sometimes, but just ignore it. 
fast forward the film or next button on the, on the Exos or DV Sport remote, next play. And that's kind of stuff where you'll be a lot more efficient if you know what to isolate plays. And that's why for quarterbacks, for receivers, press cover snaps, I'm, I'm getting more excited. I'm watching closer because I can learn a lot more from that play. Quarterbacks in the red zone, I'm watching more. If I see a gap pressure, I'm rewinding that play right from the beginning and taking my time, right? There's, there's those same kind of ideas of cheat codes to be more efficient in scouting. And, you know, PFF does wonders to help you kind of isolate those plays. But I think, you know, no matter what kind of film you're watching, TV copy, you know, we've all, we've all started it. People that didn't work in the NFL all started with TV copy watching the films. You can even, you know, cheat a little bit there as well and say, hey, these are the plays that really matter. So trying to be efficient um, is more important than just watching every single throw of every single player. How do you go about, and this is kind of a little bit off yeah. topic, but it definitely relates to you covering the draft and having to go really deep in the weeds, multiple classes. How do you keep yourself up to date on how the game's changing in the NFL? Like what's your process over the question. off season for uh, really staying abreast of like what is playing and what is winning at that level? So I'm thankful that I, I've got a guy for a lot of positions. I, I always like, I got, I got a guy, I got a guy who tells me like, Hey, what's changing a quarterback. So for quarterbacks, for example, someone I talked to is June Jones, um, who I work with the XFL and he's well-respected, I think overall, but by NFL team still. And he has a good pulse on, what has changed, if anything, at the quarterback position? What am I looking at closer, right? So I've learned both from watching every May and June, which I'll do this later this month and early in June as well, saying, hey, you know what? We've got to change what we care about at quarterbacks. No longer is the big arm the only thing that matters. It's can you improvise at quarterback? That's all that matters in the NFL is can you improvise? And that's why we've been thankfully early on guys like Mahomes and, and Kyler Murray and Zach Wilson, um, because that's that's what they're great at, right? And I think for a lot of positions, it's important to watch the film, but as best you can, listen to smart people and try to really think critically about what's changing because that's that's a reason why, again, we were, I, I know it's not on Twitter because I wasn't allowed to tweet out this year in our consulting, but we were really early on Zach Wilson. It's not because he was you know outstanding. We've just prioritized the right skill sets because we know what the NFL is going to. And I think another one, edge rusher, right? Hey, you need to have three good edge rushers in the NFL now, not just two. They're, the third edge rusher is basically a nickel corner now. It's like basically a starting position. And that piece is really important to know, right? So those kind of changing and how rosters are being built, you've got to thankfully have some people in the NFL that you can lean on, but also think critically and watch the film from a, what is this team doing different? Or what are these teams doing differently than we were before too? So a little bit's film, but a little bit, you know, thankfully is talking to people and saying, hey, What's changing as an offensive coordinator? How are you changing what defenses are doing? Hey, you know what? It's a gap pressure, but it's also having three or four edge rushes throw out you at you. That's a new change in the NFL. They look recently to say, hey, you've got to have three good ones, not just two. So stuff like that is, is trying to watch film, which I'll do in, in early June with our whole staff, as well as lean on people who are in the NFL or outside the NFL who know what's happening. But it's really, really important to stay ahead of things like that. And and do you set aside like a time of the year to go back on old scouting reports? And, and old evaluations and and what's the time frame is it three years it's four years or five years because I've, I've heard we, so, i've heard all yeah. we so on on draft classes we do a lot post-draft and we are very hard on ourselves i'm very hard on our staff and i i say it with love but i also you know i gotta be very hard because that's how you develop good scouts so we i do a post-draft analysis every year the last three or four years and this year we did it where we say hey assume nfl is right assume the nfl teams are smart here are the players that we had, you know, for our grain scale, 6.5 and above that went undrafted. And for our grain scale, 5.5 and below that went drafted. What can we learn? Assume the NFL is right. It's not about changing your grades, but it's about, hey, 
Did I misprioritize a skill set? Did I not appreciate or not know about special teams, et cetera? And I think we do that right away to make sure the players are fresh in their minds. That happened the last two weeks. So we're pretty much done with those meetings with our staff on what they did well, what they didn't do well, who they missed on, et cetera, myself included. Um, and then for previous draft classes, we'll usually reserve that for our June time period because we'll focus on guys, both the scheme as well as the changing scheme, as well as, hey, what happened in the 2018 draft class? Usually for us, by about two years, and this was again, based off analytics, I think it's about a thousand or it was like 500 snaps. You kind of are who you are in the NFL analytically. Um, guys don't really change for most positions. That's about 500 snaps. And certainly I think it's a thousand where it's like, that's exactly who you are. So usually those guys that play in the top three or four rounds, they'll usually play about 500 snaps by the you know second half of their, of their rookie or their uh, second season. So usually we'll just be, Hey, when June comes around, we'll be evaluating the 20, what the 2019 draft class um, in the same context watching film. So usually two years. And again, I try to be really hard on ourselves. Uh, if you know, national and Blesto, knock on wood, we've been more accurate preseason than, than any national and Blesto the last couple of years. And we strive for that. That's not good enough. And I think we had, I think we had 30 players that we had draftable grades on this year that went undrafted um, preseason. That was, it's a pretty good hit rate. Um, but not enough. We want to do much better than that in the future as well. So um, we'll evaluate the drafts. To answer your question, evaluate the 2021 draft class. We've already done that. And past draft class, will do that uh, sometime if you are watching NFL film. Oh, that's, that makes a ton, ton of sense too on, on the 500 snaps and a yeah. good enough sample size. Because I, I, I feel like people don't, it, it's hard to really get a grasp of like how many snaps is a good sample size. And that changes position by position. Um, yeah. But, but 500 is, is analytically we've learned is, is a pretty good, Hey, that guy is, it's usually pretty stable. And then a thousand snaps for everybody is very stable. That's exactly who they are. So. And an ultimate PFF is like the best thing in the world. Save, yeah. Oh, it saves you a lot of time too. Yeah. It's, it's so good for the transfer portal too. Um, okay. Last question before yeah. I, I get you out of here. You've talked a lot about, Sam Darnold and and you've made slight references to him between him and Trevor Lawrence in the positives yeah. um, pre NFL career. Right. And he's one of the guys that's now at a different place, the Panthers. And you've talked a little bit about, Hey, he's got a chance to, to actually perform back to what we thought he was coming out. And I wanted to put the ball in your court and see which direction you went with this of the first round quarterback bounce backs. You got Darnold, Carson Wentz, Matt Stafford, Jared Goff, Jameis Winston. Who is most positioned for success and why? You mentioned, so it was Goff, Stafford, Darnold, um, Jameis. I think it might be tough for Jameis in a situation too. I mean, a lot of it's situation. I think, hey, the fact that Matt Stafford's in an offense where 80% of his throws are gonna be really easy which is what Sean McVay has done. I think he has a great chance for success. I'm, I'm bullish on Darnold because I think you mentioned looking at past draft classes and, and this is a media thing. And I never like to compare the process to the media because, you know, the media can be fickle on things and it's a lot of just group think that kind of takes a wave over, but coming up, coming into his final year at USC, Sam Darnold was viewed pretty much the same way Trevor Lawrence was how quickly we forget that coming into that year, he was viewed the same way. That, that team he had at USC, a lot of injuries. I think Sam was coming off an injury that year as well. It wasn't like a dominant USC team and he didn't play great and he played pretty well and he was still a damn good prospect. And because he didn't win national championship like Trevor Lawrence did or was in the game as well, we kind of like lost track of that. 
But, you know, again, I'll, I'll, I'll use June Jones. He won't mind me saying this, but a couple of people has mentioned is like, Hey, Sam Darnold, you know, Trevor Lawrence was compared to Andrew Luck and he's much closer to Sam Darnold than Andrew Luck. And that's not a bad thing. And I think part of it is that, Hey, for Darnold, what I miss on the evaluation and what I'm not going to miss on Trevor Lawrence is accuracy downfield and improvisation. Again, I've seen Trevor Lawrence do it, not in the same way I've seen Zach Wilson or Kyler Murray do it, but I've seen Trevor do that, but he's not as good as those guys. So, okay, he's not quite the improviser those guys are as well. But then the accuracy downfield to have guys run after the catch, Sam struggled there in college. I misevaluated that. And Trevor did the same thing as well. So I'm not trying to say Trevor Lawrence is a bad player. I think he's a better prospect than Sam Darnold, who I think was a damn good player. But I think it's a lot about for me, it was a good example mentioned earlier about the, the you know, changing what I, I care about watching NFL film. Say, hey, what Trevor Lawrence is doing great, if this was 10 years ago, the NFL was perfectly built for him. And I think for Sam Darnold, 10 years ago was perfectly built for him as well. I think he'll have a better chance of success in Carolina. I think he's still really young. I don't think he's broken as a player. So I'm really bullish on Sam Darnold. But I think Matt Stafford's going to have a hell of a year in Los Angeles. And I think the fact that that AFC, that what, NFC West has yeah. Stafford and, and with the Rams – my guy Kyler in Arizona, um, Russ still in Seattle. Who am I missing here? And then obviously Trey Lance now in San Francisco. Um, that's going to be like, if you want to evaluate quarterbacks, they're all a bit different. They all have a really great feel for maximizing the offense, right? The three, the Rams offense to the other three as well. But if you want to evaluate kind of creativity and offense and where the league's going, those are three offenses to watch. So I'm bullish on Sam Darnold, but you probably aren't going to want to, it might be like a red zone on the big TV and just whatever NFC West game is on at the second TV. Cause all those games between the Rams having a ton of speed and Matt Stafford, Kyler improvising with all the older receivers they have and Hopkins and AJ green and Larry Fitzgerald. And then you've got obviously Russ who's must watch TV. So evaluating those offenses, that's like the, you mentioned cheat codes. That's the games to watch to say, Hey, this is where the NFL is going. I'll just watch these four games, maybe some Pat Mahomes cause he's the best. And, and I'll, I'll call it a day and know where the NFL's going. No doubt. No doubt. And how soon we forget that Steve Young absolutely sucked with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and turned yeah. into a Hall of Fame quarterback, the second team. Uh, not Eric, many guys, but Donald's that good. So not many guys have done that, but Donald's that good. But never give up on players. And again, that's to circle back, background. Donald was a really smart player, really good kid at USC, and uh, hopefully it works out because I'm, I'm bullish on Sam Donald still. No doubt. And uh, I'm going to let you get out of here, but uh, yeah. where can our listeners – find and follow all the, the new work that you're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll be having a lot of Shrine Bowl content on my Twitter account. Eric uh, Galco will also have a new uh, Shrine Bowl website coming out soon, which I'm very excited about having more, you know, make it feel like a new game and, and a new, new updates there. A lot of, a lot of cool partnerships being announced, hopefully the course of May and June with the NFL, with other outside people as well. Um, but then certainly, especially people who work in the college area that are listening to this, you know, I'll just give my email right now. My email address for the Shrine Bowl, Eric, E, I'm sorry, E Galco, G-A-L-K-O at shrinebowl.com. I am dying to hear what people want to see in the all-star games. I really am being collaborative. So if you have not reached out yet, or you're curious to ask any questions or give your take, um, you know, this, this game is a part of the draft process and everybody, NFL teams, college personnel players should have ownership over this organization, this group. So uh, anybody that wants to reach out, feel free to call or, or email anytime because it's, this game is, you know, big things ahead and I'm excited, but I also want to make sure that everyone a part of the organization, part of the college and NFL ecosystem feels that this game is, is meant for them. No doubt. No doubt. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully I can get over there and, and holler at you. So, um, yeah. 
Have guaranteed a four or five rice players. Guaranteed. No, I'm just kidding. Can't do that, but. <laughs> all right, man. Yeah. Well, you have a good one, all right? Appreciate it, Alex. Thanks again. See you, Eric.